Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Dallas Cowboys. This is the Cowboys Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Cowboys Wire editor, K.D. Drummond. As usual, K.D., plenty going on with the Cowboys, a lot to get to, guys coming in, probably looking at the safety position. We kind of predicted this, the team would make some moves on that second wave of free agency. It looks like that's definitely going to happen. Want to get to all that, but I want to spend some time right out of the shoot this week talking about the draft. The uh, debate rages on over the Cowboys' number 10 overall pick. Seems like Cowboys fans kind of have their hopes up on two guys, uh, Patrick Sertan or Kyle Pitts, right? So either that dynamic talent on offense, Kyle Pitts seems like a freak of nature, uh, and then Sertan, who I think put on a show and had a lot of a lot of the Cowboys brass, including Dan Quinn, over there uh, at his pro day, and seems like he kind of put on a show. So Sertan and Pitts seem like the two names to watch, but... What are you thinking? What's the latest going on with the Cowboys and that number 10 pick here in April? Yeah, that's that's really what it comes down to for Cowboys fans right now uh, between Sertan and Pitts. Uh, there are a couple outliers that, you know, team that, that fans hope could drop to the team. Panay Sewell, uh, the offensive tackle, uh, he's definitely in that mix. If he drops, uh, people would love to see a replacement, a future replacement for Teron Smith. Of course, Sewell can play guard uh, on the interior until that point that he's ready to take over at left tackle. Uh, but really, it's between Sertan and Pitts. And it, it really breaks down to philosophy. The Cowboys clearly are deficient on the defensive side of the ball. So those people who think that you should throw your most important picks at the most important positions would love to see them go out there and take a cornerback. And Sertan is clearly the best of the cornerbacks. Caleb Farley, uh, the recent news that he is going to have uh, back surgery and he is not going to be able to join a team's camp until July drops that stock. He was kind of in competition with Sertan. Uh, but of course, he skipped out on the 2020 season during the pandemic. Uh, so people haven't seen film on him in a year. And in addition to that, he is now going to un- uh, undergo surgery. So that's probably dropped him out of the competition for being the Cowboys pick at number 10. Uh, but the the alternate philosophy is that you take the best player on the board. And for all of the bells and whistles that come with Sertan and the incredible performance he put on at his pro day, which, if we're going to be honest, should not double count because you see that athleticism and that strength in your evaluation of him on film. So what he does at the pro day should just confirm that. It shouldn't be a bonus in your evaluation of him. Sure. But the idea is that he is a not a generational talent. He is probably the best cornerback in this class. The cornerback class is very deep, but he is not, let's say, uh, the type of perfect prospect that you would put on uh, the the level of somebody like a Patrick Peterson or a Darrell Revis or somebody in that regard that you see off top. This guy could potentially be the best quarterback in the league for a very long time. That's not the case when you look at Kyle Pitts. You look at Kyle Pitts and you say, that guy is so phenomenal of an athlete and his catch radius and his fluidity and everything that comes along with him, he seems to be a generational talent when it comes to the tight end position. So the question is, 
do you pass up a generational talent at one spot because it's not the highest position of need on your team and then draft for strictly need and take the best player available at a position of need? I'm of the philosophy that if Pitts is there, I would lean towards him because I don't think that the distance between Sertan and the rest of the cornerbacks that you could possibly get in round two is that drastic of a difference where you say, I have to get this guy because we are not ever going to see anything like him again. Pitts is going to be the one guy that you say, if he ends up on another team, am I going to have to spend all hours of the night preparing for how I'm going to stop this guy? That's the kind of guy that you take if you have the opportunity in a top 10 pick. If you don't need a quarterback, if you don't desperately need an offensive lineman, I think that you have to go with the guy that is the best potential long-term value. And I, for me, that's Pitts. But I definitely see the other side of the equation. I just personally think that you could get a comparable cornerback to pair with Trevon Diggs in the second round of the draft and go that direction. But it's probably all a moot point because I don't think Pitts gets to 10 anyway. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, this is this is what we want as Cowboys fans, but what's really going to happen? Yeah, no, but, uh, but Pitts right. <laughs> is... Uh, he ran a four four six forty. Now that's I don't usually look at those stats too much, Katie, like the combine stats, but a four four six forty for a guy of that size is uh ridiculous. Yeah. Is there a tight end that we could even compare him to? Like he you can't compare him to Gronkowski when he came in because he didn't have that kind of speed, not even close. Is there even a comp right now at the tight end position that we could compare Pitts to? Um, I can't think of one wow. at the position and Gronk is probably a better uh, blocker than what Pitts is. Uh, when you know when people try to knock Pitts early in the draft process, they kept saying, "Oh, he's a horrible blocker. He doesn't block very well." But that's not the case. He blocks adequately, and he tries very hard. And he's good enough as a blocker that if he's uh, playing in line, that you respect his blocking ability to at least be able to be a deterrent in pass protection. But what he could do with an offensive weapon is unparalleled. And really the closest that you're going to get to him as far as his physical stature, he's not as fast as. But Calvin Johnson is really the closest comparison when you're talking about the body type that uh, that Pitts has. Uh, just a dominant person. Uh, Pitts is 6'6", Calvin Johnson was 6'4 6'5", uh, but clearly he had uh, more speed than Pitts did. But the catch radius on this kid is what it's, it's the most phenomenal part of it. And people that are going against it and saying, well, the Cowboys have serviceable tight ends. They have Blake Jarwin, uh, who we're still waiting to get a full season in the, in the premier rollout. We have Dalton Schultz, who caught 60 passes, 600 yards, and uh, four touchdowns this past year. Dalton Schultz doesn't threaten the defense. We don't know whether or not Blake Jarwin can handle that premier role. Kyle Pitts is something that defenses will have to account for. And if you're going to roll into a season where you're able to trot out Amari Cooper, and C.D. Lamb, both commanding double teams, and then throwing Kyle Pitts and his running ability coming out of that seam, uh, even if he split out you know, into the, into the uh, slot position or any of that, uh, different things that you can do with him, it's simply an unstoppable passing offense. I, I love Michael Gallup to death. He is signed for one more year, and I'm not in the boat that you say you have to get rid of him. But the whole thing about receivers is they normally take some time to develop, so you'd rather get somebody in your system now in preparation to be the man next year. And drafting Pitts then gives you all types of versatility as far as what you can do. If you think that Amari uh, Cooper is getting too expensive, if you want to get rid of that contract because you now have to prepare for re-signing CeeDee Lamb after year three, 
having somebody like Pitts in the pipeline is exactly what you want. Offense always trumps defense. You should always take care of your offense before you take care of defense because it's cyclical. The Cowboys defense is not going to be as bad as it was last year because there's going to be regression to the mean. You've replaced Mike Nolan. You've put in Dan Quinn. You have people that were playing out of position. You have injuries. All of those things come to factor. If the Cowboys have an offense that can score 45 points a game, which with Pitts, it most certainly would have that ability having a defense that's around the middle of the pack can get you to a Super Bowl. And then, uh, again, you have the flexibility as you move forward. So I think all of these things are in favor that if Pitts was on the board for some stroke of magnificent luck to have C.D. Lamb drop one year and then Kyle Pitts drop the next year, you take that guy and you figure everything else out later. If you have a chance to get a transformational talent, you got to take it, especially this year. Like, Do you feel like number 10 holds increased value this year, Katie, because there's so many QB needy teams out there that – will be either trying to draft their guy or kind of jump in line to get their guy at quarterback. And because the Cowboys are sitting here with their quarterback figured out in this deep quarterback class, I've seen as many as five, six quarterbacks being mocked to teams in the first round, and a lot of them are probably going to go top 15. So do you think there's increased value there for the Cowboys? Do you think there'll be more talent than a normal year at number 10? Yeah, I I think it's a beautiful situation to be in uh, because, as you said, you're going to look at uh, Lawrence is going to be drafted, Fields, Zach Wilson, most likely Trey Lance, Matt Jones might even sneak into that conversation if a team wants to, you know, get into the top 10. He might, you know, go 12 to San Francisco or one of those type of situations. Uh, I I think you could legitimately see that happen. And then you have Sewell in the conversation as being, uh, you know, a – a rare offensive talent. I won't call him generational at the offensive tackle position, but he is a rare find. Uh, Rashawn Slater, the kid out of Northwestern, has such high pedigree. You have the receivers like uh, Devontae Smith and, and uh, Chase out of LSU. So you're really stacking it up and you're looking like, well, if teams feel like you're not supposed to draft a tight end in the top 10, and a lot of front offices have these weird conventions that they stick to when it comes to drafting. So it might sound foreign you know, to a lot of people, there, there are teams that say, don't draft a running back in the top 10 or whatever the case may be. Don't draft a tight end. Don't draft a safety. There are teams that follow those edicts. And if that happens and if the board plays right, it could perceivably be to the point that the Cowboys have an option of both Sertan and Pitts. And on the flip side, both of those guys could be gone and we could be looking at a sure. totally good pick that, that uh, the Cowboys end up having to make. So it's one of those years that is just really fluid. And an interesting point, the change in the CBA with the fifth-year option, it's always been that the 11th pick is really the premier pick, the premier place that you want to be in. Because the way that the fifth-year option used to work was the top 10 picks basically got uh, for their fifth-year option the transition tag amount, which means that you're paying those guys in that fifth year basically the the price of a star player at that position. And then picks 11 through 32 were an average of the top 25 salaries for the position. So it's much cheaper for the fifth-year option for those guys. But with the change in the most recent CBA, those those parameters of how that contract is determined are now at the window. So it's not really more beneficial to be an 11 than it is to 10. So those kind of things, the, the area that the Cowboys are drafting in is really primed to take advantage of everything that you could look for in a draft prospect. Could Jerry get creative or Stephen Jones or could they get creative and trade up? Now, the, the Cowboys have 10 picks in this draft on the board. You know, they've got number 10. They've got number 44. They've got two picks in the third round, two picks in the fourth round, two picks in the sixth round. They got a lot of picks. Maybe they could move up. Maybe it's more likely they move up on day two. But I think the uh, you know, we kind of talked last year about, oh, will they move back? But that doesn't seem to be the case. Like maybe Jerry Jones and, and company fall so in love with Pitts that they try to move up. Is that 
Is there any chance of that, you think, on day one? I don't think that they would that they would look to move up. They have far too many needs to yeah. sacrifice picks. Yeah. Um, and they, they'd be willing to sacrifice day three picks, but none of those are going to be able to get you to move up because day one picks are so uh, valuable. Mm-hmm. So you can't really say, I'll give you a fourth round pick and then move up from 10 to eight. That's not going to be enough. You need to give up a third round pick or higher, and I don't think they're in a position to do that. What I do think is interesting is, the general philosophy should always be look to trade back. If you go through and you look at uh, draft picks as uh, collateral, as, excuse me, as capital, and, and you look at the overall performance, the more picks you have, the better off you are, especially top 100 picks. So if you could move back from 10 to 13, from 10 to 15, assuming that the guy that you really, really want isn't there anymore. So this is, let's say that Pitts goes to the Eagles at, at six, and Sertan goes off the board to Denver at nine, and then you're sitting there and you're like, well, I don't really feel like picking one of these offensive tackles because I believe that Teron Smith is going to play for the next four years. Then you're looking at a position, uh, at a situation where you could look to move back, and you might take face value from a team like San Francisco who might want to jump up from 12 to 10 and offer you their third-round pick in order to do that or one of their compensatory picks in order to do that. So these are the types of things that I think the Cowboys could do and then turn around and on day two – try to move up in the second round. So all 10 draft picks aren't going to make the team. So maybe at that point when picks, when, when it's a little bit more convenient, more, uh, more believable to make a move up, you look at going up from 44 to maybe 36 to 35 to go grab the guy that you really like in the second round. And you start to combine picks that way. So I, I wouldn't look for them to move up in the first round, but on day two, I could definitely see them moving on, moving up from 44, 75, and 99, which are their current day two picks right now. I like where the Cowboys are at. I, I kind of like you know, the situation that they have at number 10 with all the quarterback stuff going on early in this draft. It's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. But I, we got to get to this national media topic that got KD really fired up this week. He had to write a 1,000-word <laughs> expose on, uh, on, this, on this very topic on Cowboys Wire. We'll get to that coming up next. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dan Graziano, I turn to you to try and make some sense of the proceedings here. Who is going to win the NFC East? There's no way it makes sense. Greeny, I started covering the NFC East 10 years ago, and what I've learned in that time is you have no idea what's going to happen. The the Cowboys only win when you don't expect them to, (laughs) and no one can win the division two years in a row, right? I know you like Washington, but the only thing I know for sure is that Washington won't win it. It's been 17 years since this division had a back-to-back champion, and it's no coincidence. There are evil forces at work that went to work this year to dismantle the entire Philadelphia Eagles franchise just to prevent them from winning the easiest division ever. That happened. So Washington won't win it. I don't know who's going to win. I'm going to say the Giants just because I expect something weird to happen, and that would be really weird. Now there's Dan Graziano, and that's not that's that's not the commentary that got you fired up, Katie, that I referenced before the break there. Um, but that's just that's just someone picking the Giants that I think that's the most reasonable take I've heard yet on someone picking the Giants to win the NFC East. It just like because weird things happen in the NFC East, it's like 
All right. Okay. Yeah, I can wrap my head around that. That that's a pick of the Giants. I can wrap my head around. But uh, people are are really getting fired up over the Giants. Obviously, they extend Leonard Williams. They sign Kenny Galladay. They uh, sign a Dory Jackson. They've they're about to ink up Kyle Rudolph as well. So they have just gone on a free agent spending spree similar to Bill Belichick. And people are starting to create this debate. First of all, are the Giants a better offensive football team than the Cowboys now? Or are they just a better all-around football team than the Cowboys? And this is a debate that everyone's kind of touching on, all the talking heads. And I know it was the Good Morning Football crew, Katie's especially, like they had this intentionally misleading graphic that I think got you a little bit fired up. And you wrote this long report on why the Cowboys and the Giants, that's just not a conversation to have in, on terms of the offensive side of the football. So uh, what inspired you there? Yeah, we, we know what sports television is right now. For better or worse, <laughs> it is all debate all the time. Yes. Uh, it, it, it's kind of a little bit, more than a little bit annoying. Uh, it's why people have just kind of tuned out and uh, part of the reason for cutting the cord. Uh, the only thing that sports uh, broadcast sports television is presenting us uh, of quality is actual live sports. Um, but yeah, they, they went down this path where they wanted to debate whether or not the Giants uh, offensive personnel grouping uh, the, the talent that they've acquired is better than the Cowboys. And they put up this graphic where they listed Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, Kenny Galladay, uh, who they just recently signed the impetus for this conversation, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, John Ross III, Evan Ingram, and Kyle Rudolph. And they compared it to the Cowboys group of Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb, and Blake Jarwood. Now, anybody that does math at home, <laughs> there were more people on the Giants list than there were on the Cowboys. Mm, so first of all, you know it's slanted. Eight versus six. Now, you know, you left out guys like Dalton Schultz, who was comparable to Evan Ingram last year. You left out a guy like Tony Pollard or one of the other receivers on the Cowboys. And so you, automatically you're telling me you need eight Giants to compare to six Cowboys. <laughs> That's your first hint Simple that it's not a fair competition. Right. So I went through this whole article and I went position by position and I broke down some of the things I went into more detail than others because some are just silly arguments like comparing Dak Prescott to Daniel Jones. Do I need 200 words to compare those two quarterbacks? Absolutely not. I need seven words. And that's I what need you used. Dak Prescott. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's pretty much it. Like, next topic. So I went through all of these things, and my argument, I said Saquon Barkley could potentially, theoretically, be more talented than Ezekiel Elliott, but he does not play, and Ezekiel Elliott rarely misses a game. He missed his first game for injury in five seasons this past year. Saquon Barkley has played 15 games over the last two seasons combined. Then I went into the other things, and I went through. They didn't include the offensive line, which is an absolute joke of a comparison. They left that on on purpose. And I just basically dismantled this whole thing. And the funny thing is, the Good Morning Football crew, almost to a man, came to the same conclusion. So they pretty much presented an argument that they didn't even believe. But when it comes to Twitter and they post the graphics on, they just leave it open-ended to try to stir debate and get people to go to YouTube and watch the clip. And that's exactly what I ended up doing. So... I dismantled it. I made that point. But it's funny that you mentioned that I paid about a thousand words to this article because I still on Twitter had somebody come to me and said, this is not a, a, a viable argument. You basically just touched on surface stuff. You didn't go into details about, uh, you know, stats. You use volume stats to compare these guys and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, dude, if this was a more serious topic, I have gone into more serious detail, but we're talking about the Giants and the Cowboys offense. Nobody in their right mind truly believes that it's comparable. Why would I spend all of that time doing actual research when I could just rattle off these things off the top of my head? 
So, you know, it, it, it just goes to show you that for every debate that they put out there, there are going to be some people that actually believe the idiotic portion of the, of the conversation. That's what this was. Oh, man, I'm so glad I asked you this question. Yes, please go on Cowboys <laughs> Wire and read that article KD posted. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It's tremendous. I loved every second of it. Great <laughs> stuff as usual, KD. Uh, the Cowboys made some, uh, some, some, you know, second tier kind of second wave free agent moves. They brought in safety Keanu Neal who is a Dan Quinn guy, right? Reportedly, they're going to move him from safety to weak side linebacker. Uh, there's also a bunch of other safeties st- that are supposed to meet with the team. I think as we speak today, Wednesday, Malik Hooker, uh, DeMonte Kazee. I heard safety Jaron Curse is also in line for a visit, right? So a lot of safeties coming in, probably more signings. Uh, so what do you think about the Neal signing, first of all, Katie? And what does it mean for current Cowboys or current Cowboys free agents with uh, Neal now in the mix? Yeah, it, it was one of those things that when it was reported that the Cowboys were interested, it was first framed uh, that they had interest in the player and it uh, obviously stimulated the conversation on Twitter. And I was basically against the move because I am a firm believer that Donovan Wilson is a star in the making. He is just too dynamic of a player. He is a magnet for the ball. He gets interceptions. He forces fumbles. He can blitz off the edge. He is not the best in coverage. The Cowboys lined him up as a free safety more often than not this past season, but he is a strong safety by nature. I would love to see him man the starting strong safety role. Go get your center field guy. Uh, Last year, the Cowboys ran a bunch of um, cover two. They'll run more cover three under Dan Quinn, which means that your single high safety is going to be the prevalent formation for the defense. He's not that guy. So I would rather have him be the box safety and then take on, you know, uh, tight ends and running backs and things of that sort when he's in coverage, as opposed to being matched up against wide receivers. But the Neil signing was not a good one for me because I looked at Neil and I said, well, he tore his ACL in 2018. He tore his Achilles in 2019. And then when he came back in 2020, he didn't appear to be the player that he was previously when he made the Pro Bowl in his second season in 2017. He was dynamic. He is probably the hardest hitter in the NFL. He had, I believe, like a, a ridiculous amount. I, the number's skipping my mind, but he had double-digit forced fumbles in his first two seasons. He had zero in 2020. He was not getting past reflections in 2020. So his coverage issues were obvious to me. And whether or not that meant that he just wasn't fully recovered from his Achilles or whether this meant that this is the new version of Keanu Neal after having those two major injuries to his legs, that's unknown. So I did not want to sign a guy who was going to come in for the amount of money that would basically mandate that he starts above Donovan Wilson. That was my biggest beef. And I got into arguments with Twitter with, on, on, on this topic with people left and right. So what happened next was we learned that they were talking about moving him to the weak side linebacker position, which to me says, okay, well, the guy that played weak side linebacker for you, that's Jalen Smith. They paid him a lot of money. And the whole intention was that Leighton Vanderish was going to be the middle linebacker. Jalen was going to be the weak side. And then Leighton got injured, so Jalen had to move back to the middle linebacker position. But theoretically, if everybody's healthy, Jalen is your weak side linebacker. So what does this mean? You sign Keanu for a decent contract. It's not starter-level money. And you can kind of play him as a hybrid. You can sometimes play him as safety, sometimes play, play him as linebacker. But it does not preclude any of the other guys from starting they can go to three linebackers. You can move Jalen over to strong side. Whenever Neil is at a weak side position, you can run three safety looks with Wilson, Neil, and if they sign one of these guys that's visiting on Wednesday, have him be the single high safety. This move now gives you flexibility because the money that they signed him for is less. I believe it's just $3 million that he's guaranteed uh, as far as what he's going to hit against the cap. 
Uh, so there's flexibility there. I was thinking that, that the first report was one year, five million. That's what he was going to get out the box. But it looks like they have some things in there that mean that he's not going to be as heavy against the cap. So there are ways that they can maneuver that. But in general, I, I don't know what he is anymore. I don't know whether or not what the version that we saw in 2020 is going to be the version of him moving forward. And if that's the case, I don't want to see him covering anybody. I want to see him blitzing. I want to see him, you know, strictly in the box and not having to backpedal whatsoever because that guy was not who you uh, saw the first couple of years. He was never a great coverage guy, but at least he could cover to some degree. He did get an interception last year against Kansas City and that vaunted offense, except he was in coverage against Patrick Mahomes. It was a wide receiver pass, and Patrick Mahomes was on a route. And that's the only pass that he intercepted all season. That's a great point. So, you know, it, yeah, it's just not he, – he's just not my perfect fit, but I do love the fact that they're exploring these options. They're being creative with the way that they want to attack this defense, uh, moving on from the Mike Nolan experiment, creative in ways that put people in a position that suits them best as opposed to trying to make players fit your vision. Uh, so I, I am excited about that aspect of it. I don't know if he's going to be the savior at the safety position. I'm really interested in what and if if they can sign either Hooker or uh, Demonte Kazee, uh, because I think either what either one of those guys who also are recovering from Achilles injuries, uh, I, I would love to see what they do at the single high. Honestly, I'd rather them sign both and then just see during training camp which one is more healthy and which one is more capable of playing that single high safety. And then also, after you sign both of those guys, still go out and draft a guy like Richie Grant or uh, Trevor Moorig out of TCU. So, you know, draft a safety early still to play that role for the future, but then also still have veteran bridge guys that, you can, get, that can get you through the first eight weeks of the season. You know, it seems like Hooker would be – more of the wild card given where his draft stock was and, and his injury history. Yep. But then Kazee, more of a known commodity in the sense that Dan Quinn will know him, right? Similar to Keanu Neal. Exactly. He, he would know that guy. So that'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Alden Smith not coming back. Let's leave it there, KD, though. Um, what do you think about that decision? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. He had a very strong start to the season. Uh, he tailed off in the second half of the season. We all know his backstory, what he went through to try to get back in the league. He was out of the league for, I believe, four or five seasons, and he finally was able to fight back and get through those suspensions and get himself uh, clean and healthy and in the right state of mind. We don't know what the reason is that the Cowboys uh, have decided that they're going to turn their back on him, but the report did come on uh, on Wednesday that they are not going to be bringing him back. He is gonna he is already a free agent, but he is now going to have to pursue uh, employment with another team. We'll see if anybody signs him for the type of contract that would result in the Cowboys getting uh, him into their compensatory pick formula. Uh, we already know who's in there already. We have uh, Andy Dalton is already in there. Cam Irvin is there. Chidobe Awuzie is in there. So as the Cowboys start to sign guys, this is also the other part of it is that guys that are eligible based on the size of their contract are in this comp pick formula. And Alden Smith could be another guy that enters into that. So maybe that's part of the thinking for the Cowboys. If he signs for $4 million or more a year someplace else, he would then enter into that formula. And it makes more sense to let him go, considering that they've already signed Basham to play that role. You would love to see Bradley Anai, who really got no playing time last year after being drafted in the fifth round, get him some snaps. Uh, the previous regime was in love with Dorrance Armstrong, so he's still on the roster. Rondell Carter can play defensive end. So the Cowboys are really strong behind DeMarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory as far as depth goes. 
So I don't think it's that big of a deal for them not to get Alton Smith back, considering how much they think Randy Gregory is going to be able to contribute now that you can no longer get suspended for weed. Amazing, uh, amazing insight as always from KD, man. It's good to see you. It's good to see you fired up on a, on a you know late March, getting in there on Twitter, mixing <laughs> it up, man. So for KD Drummond, I'm Ryan O'Leary. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week. We'll talk to you then. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.